streaming website of the Preston Crest Church of Christ. We are a family of believers located in North Dallas, just south of LBJ Freeway on Preston Road. The purpose of this live stream service is to allow those not able to worship with us in person to join us and also to reach those not familiar with the Preston Crest Church. Unlike many TV, radio, or internet evangelists, we are not here to ask you for your money and we desire nothing in return from you. We would love for you to come and visit us in person whenever you can, but for now, we're glad that you've joined us by way of the Internet. And we pray that God will bless you as you worship with us this morning. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. 
You're altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful to me. Here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God. You're altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether these words as we begin uh, our time together this morning. Praise the Lord. This is from Psalm 112. Praise the Lord. How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying His commands. Their children will be successful everywhere. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. 
And I thought, as I, that was part of our uh, all-in Bible reading this morning or today. So if you haven't read it yet, you got that to look forward to. But as I was listening uh, to that driving in this morning, I thought, man, how appropriate that is today. We are blessing and honoring our seniors, our graduating seniors today. Good morning, seniors. I said, 8 o'clock, they look great. They still look great. 1045. Yeah. So today, in just a few moments, we will be honoring our graduating seniors and their families. So I thought that was a very appropriate verse. We're going to continue with our worship time and song this morning, and I'm going to ask that y'all please be standing as we continue with our our singing. Praise the Lord, ye heavens adore Him. Praise Him, angels in the sun. Amen. 
Good morning. We are so excited that you are with us today, and we are especially excited that you're here to participate in this celebration, and congratulations to each and every one of you guys. We're excited for you. Um, I serve as, as an elder here, and it's my pleasure to work with the youth group and oversee that in conjunction with Brian Borden, who does an amazing job uh, as our youth minister, along with his wife, Gina, and their three kids. We are so thankful to have them. We also want to be uh, mindful and appreciative of Kelly Wilkinson, who assists Brian and does so much of the work and kind of is the glue that holds it all together. And so we're thankful for them. We also uh, want to thank each and every one of you for being a part of their lives. Um, many of you have taught them as when they were children. Um, many of you have served as small group leaders. Um, many of you have taught classes in the youth group, gone on mission trips with them and have experienced life with them. And so for each of you, we are very thankful for your impact that you've had on them. But today's about them, and we are thankful for them. And we are uh, here to um, celebrate all of their accomplishments. And um, they have been given a Bible that's uh, kind of a token from this church, uh, hopefully as a reminder uh, for the impact that you guys have had. And hopefully that will be a part of their life for many years to come. Um, one side note, I was telling in first service, by the way, we've done this once before, so they're going to hear a lot of this a second time, so apologies for that, but you don't realize how quickly things go and how life passes by, and I was doing this four years ago with my daughter as a graduate and graduated her from college yesterday at A&M, and so you don't realize how quickly it passes until you're in the midst of it, and we were sitting in many of your seats right now wondering how we were going to get through it and we do, and they come out the other side, amazing young people, um, even more so than they are now. So um, and along with that, you see the maturity and the way that they develop, and, and we're so thankful for uh, the foundation that they gained uh, while being a part of this, this church. So you guys want to come on up, and we will introduce each one of them. When we do the introduction, the parents... Uh, will stand as well, as well as any grandparents or family members that are here supporting them. All right. Miss Allison Barber, daughter of George and Rianne Barber, graduating from Richardson High School, plans to attend Texas A&M University. Claire Barber, daughter of George and Rianne Barber, graduating from Richardson High School and plans to attend Texas A&M University. You may see a pattern here. There are three sets of twins in this group, so it's pretty amazing, quite an anomaly. Elizabeth Jeanette Barnes, daughter of Harley and Julie Barnes, graduating from Trinity Christian Academy, plans to attend the University of Arkansas. Hannah Batt, daughter of Brad and Lucy Batt, graduating from Hebron High School and plans to attend Louisiana State University. Evan Clark, son of Joseph and Paula Clark, graduating from Saxe High School and plans to attend Baylor University. Claudia Dabbs, 
daughter of Gordon and Isla Dabbs, graduating from J.J. Pierce High School and plans to attend Oklahoma Christian University. Grant Kimball, son of Matt and Jennifer Kimball, graduating from Centennial High School and plans to attend Texas A&M University. Brianne Lowe, daughter of Steve and Candy Lowe, graduating from Legacy Christian Academy and plans to attend Harding University. Ashley Mabry, daughter of Craig and Amy Mabry, graduating from Liberty High School and plans to attend Abilene Christian University. <laughs> Jessica Lynn McDonald, daughter of Perry and Teresa Hollifield, graduating from McKinney Boyd High School and plans to attend Harding University. <laughs> Madeline Julianne, whoops, Julianne McDonald, Daughter of Perry and Ter Teresa Hollifield, graduating from McKinney Boyd High School and plans to attend Harding University. <laughs> now, Madeline Julianne Smith, daughter of Jerry and Angela Smith, graduating from the classes at Town North and plans to attend Harding University. <laughs> Sydney Lane Stegall, daughter of Steve and Kelly Stegall, graduating from Hebron High School and plans to attend the University of Arkansas. <laughs> Allison Styron, daughter of Mark and Chris Styron, graduating from Plano West High School and plans to attend the University of Arkansas. <laughs> Sydney Styron, daughter of Mark and Chris Styron, graduating from Plano High School and plans to attend the University of Arkansas, Plano West High School. <laughs> Mackenzie Wilkinson, daughter of Scott and Kelly Wilkinson, graduating from the Covenant School of Dallas and plans to attend Texas A&M University. <laughs> Mackenzie Brooke Williams, daughter of Mark and Courtney Williams, graduating from Poetry Community Christian School and plans to attend Oklahoma Christian University. We're going to say a prayer, and I'd invite all of the elders up here that are in this, attending this worship service to join us. Brian, if you're here, you want to come up too? After we say this prayer, since they've done this once, as much as we'd like to hear Gordon twice, many of us are going to be excusing ourselves after this. So don't take offense. Will you bow with me? Father God, we are so very thankful for this senior class, and we are thankful that you have brought them to this important milestone in their lives. We are so very thankful to all of those who have impacted their lives and have helped build a firm foundation on which their faith has and will continue to grow. Thank you for the family members, the friends, the teachers, the role models, and mentors that have provided love and guidance throughout their lives. We pray that you will give each senior direction, purpose, and perseverance as they enter the next phase of their lives. Give them clearness of mind to move forward into the plans and purposes that you have for them. May they gain wisdom from you and have discernment 
as they face many new decisions in the upcoming weeks and months and years. May they never seek in the creature what can only be found in the Creator. We pray, Father, that they will have boldness to stand up for what is right, wherever they work, wherever they study, or wherever they might socialize. Grant them success, Father, for their efforts at every turn, and guide them and their feet to follow your ways. May they be eager to do good and not evil all the days of their lives, and may you use them in mighty ways. We ask this in your son's holy and blessed name. Amen. Let's give him one last hand of applause. All right, as they are uh, preparing to exit this assembly, if you're going to be helping us serve communion this morning, you can also get up and, and move into position for that. And in just a moment, uh, Brad Hobson is going to come and share with us around the bread and around the cup. Before he does, let's sing Revelation song. Worthy is the Lamb We love. 
Um, is it on? Okay. Um, every time I take communion, I put it into a two-part um, thought process in my head. The first part is usually um, the death and the price that was paid for my sin on that cross. Um, so I, I take that time to just noodle that, if you will, um, to think about that through. But then um, it's not long before I start to think about the glory that comes out after that, the fact that he rose, conquered our sins, broke those chains, erased everything. And that's where I spend a lot of time, um, usually during the cup, because it's a two-part process. Um, and I just get really excited. So I hope that you guys can take a couple minutes right now and think about the fact that he suffered for our sins and the sad part about that, but then really get excited about knowing that through that, um, there's a lot of glory at the end of it. And through our faith, we stand unchained and free from that. So let's pray. Lord, I ask that you just come before us right now, that you be with us this morning as we partake the bread. We remember the body that you gave, the sin that was carried to the cross, and that you give us a clear mind to just think about that. Sons, and we pray. Amen. Come to the table and worship the Savior. Taste what forgiveness is for. His mercy will lead us, the grace of God feed us, making us hungry for more. His body was given for you and for me. Look on the cross and believe, the bread has been broken, our eyes have been opened, oh come Lord restore and renew. At this point in our worship we are eating unleavened bread. Our purpose, it represents in the New Testament the body of Jesus Christ. In no sense is it the actual physical body of Christ, yet it is a symbol to us of that body, and Christians all over the world for more than 2,000 years, on every first day of the week, remember the body of Christ. As we look back at the cross and we see the face of Jesus, we see his love. We can look at his hands and we feel his welcome. We look at his side and we see the bleeding of grace and mercy. And when we look at his feet, we realize that he walked in our very shoes. These are some of our thoughts as we eat the bread. We remember this is the body of Christ. The bread has been broken. Our eyes have been opened. Oh, come, Lord, restore and renew. Your word has been spoken.
let's pray. Lord, we continue this prayer, but on an exciting note, thanking you for the fact that your son rose, broke the chains, we're no longer bound to that sin, but through you, through the blood, we're washed clean, and we just take this time to be excited together. In your sons, and we pray. Amen. I come expecting Jesus to meet me in this place. I come expecting to receive His mercy and His Expecting Jesus to meet me in this place. I come expecting Jesus to meet me in this place. As we continue in our time of communion with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we now partake of the fruit of the vine. When Jesus took the cup, he said, This is my blood. Now, of course, this is not the actual blood of Jesus, but it is our reminder on each first day of the week of the sacrifice he made for each of us. We drink in both thoughtful reflection of what he did for us and in a spirit of celebration and praise for the hope we have in him. I come expecting Jesus to to hear this sermon the second time, but, you know, foiled again. We are so glad that you are here this morning. If you're visiting with us, and I know we have some visitors here today because we've got a big group of singles that's up at Texoma. We've got a group of a couple dozen men that are out in Colorado doing a spiritual retreat, but yet a lot of folks here, so we're glad that you're here. If it's your first time here, we have a special gift for you. So, fill out one of those cards in front of you, take it back to the Welcome Center, and you will receive that, it's a mug, it's a 
a, a writing pad and some other stuff. But we're just really glad that you're here this morning. You know, when I think about offering at church, I think about how we give in so many different ways. Uh, maybe it's a, a charity that you know does a lot of good and you give to that. Or maybe you give to the, the, the university of which you are an alum or whatever. But I think it's different. I, actually, I know it's different here at church. Because you're not so much giving to the church, you're giving through the church. Because we are the church. You are the church. And we are, according to Scripture, the body of Christ, the hands and feet of Jesus. And so just kind of think about that this morning, how we're not giving to an institution or an organization. We're giving through the body of Christ of which we are a part. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father God, you are so good and graceful to invite us into your family to make us part of the body, to make us part of your son's church. And we are eternally grateful for that, grateful for the opportunity to partner with you in ministry here in our mission field of Dallas, Fort Worth, and beyond. And so we ask this morning that these, these generous donations, Father, that they will, will go through as part of our ministry taking the good news of Christ out into the world, sharing a message of hope with people who are downcast and downtrodden. This is our prayer. To the glory of Jesus and to the growth of his kingdom, in his name we pray. Amen. Finer's fire, my heart's one desire is to be My name is John Keese, and these are my two kids. Uh, what, go and tell them your names. Jackson, Rosie. Hi, and they they look a little sad. They look sad, <laughs> no, like sad. No, no smile. Sad. Stick that lip out, Rosie. There it is. Yes, Rosie. Why are you sad? 
because there's not enough teachers in, in Bible class. That's right. There's not enough teachers in Bible class. That's right. And so this is a special call. Um, for those of you that are already volunteering, thank you so much. We looked at kind of the stats, and overwhelmingly, a lot of our teachers are very young. Um, young as, and have kids maybe this age. And I'm not very wise. So we're missing out on a lot of the wisdom of our older generations. When I was growing up, oh, Rosie had two teachers today. That kind of goes against our, our message, actually. That's, well, that's just today. We still need teachers. Thank you, Rosie. When I was young, I had a lot of grandmothers. I had my two, my biological grandmothers, but I had a lot of other grandmothers at church that would set me straight and, and would guide me along as I matured, hopefully. I feel like every time I turn my back, he's doing something. But I feel like we need a lot more wisdom to teach our kids because, I, again, I'm not wise, but you guys are. So if you are wise in years and wise in wisdom, we need you. And I, I beg you to please come teach my kids because they need your wisdom. So please, if you would like to join, we're, we need more teachers for the summer. And Jackson, if, if someone wants to teach, what, what should they do? See Miss Becca in the hall. That's right. See Miss Becca back in the hallway. She'll have information and a sign-up list. Thank you, guys. Rebecca, Paula leaned over to me and said, that's dirty. Dirty pool, playing it that way, having Rosie say, we need more teachers. I love it. I lo and it's only for the summer, folks. It's not a lifetime commitment, but maybe it is. If you want to recommit after the end of the summer, I think Rebecca will uh, gladly allow you to do that. But all we're looking for is for help throughout the summer months. So, uh, yeah, go back and sign up and, and help us this summer. All right, one other thing I need to call your attention to, and that is we're having a men's breakfast at 8 o'clock this coming Saturday. Mike Pipkin will be speaking to us, and I asked Mike's permission to share with you the title. It's on the slide here. Yeah, look at that. If you can read that, here it is. An agnostic, an atheist, an Episcopalian, and I walk into a bar. A story about being different. Now, if that doesn't want to get you to come here and find out what in the world Mike's going to be talking about, I don't know what will. But plan on being here at 8 o'clock Saturday morning for our men's breakfast. Bring a neighbor. Bring a friend. It's a great time to do that. We're going to have a great big breakfast and then some time with Mike. So plan on being here 8 o'clock Saturday. We'll send out a reminder email later on in the week just to remind you. Let's take 30 seconds. Let's stand and greet one another. And we'll send kids on up to Children's Church as well. As we continue in our worship service this morning, we enter into our fellowship time. This is a wonderfully special time within our service. It is now that we take just a minute or two to reach out and say hello to those who have gathered here with us this morning, to share a kind or encouraging word with one another. In larger churches such as ours, this time is very important. 
as we seek to keep a small right, church good, feeling good. within our large church family. All right, church. Some greet a shout hallelujah, shout hallelujah, shout hallelujah unto the Lord. Shout Right, good morning. That's next Sunday. That is how you place membership at Preston Crest. So if you've been visiting a while and would like to be more than a visitor, would like to become part of the family, we'd invite you to be here next Sunday after this service, second service. We'll have lunch together. It's amazing with strawberry salad, if you remember from previous video. Also, we have, uh, have childcare available if you need that. So we really would like for you to be here and, uh, and uh, so sign up online. And I think there's more information on the inside cover of the bulletin. Also, you're visiting that if you're new around here there's a sermon outline in the bulletin uh, i think toward the back also if you have you version the you version app which is amazing i recommend it we are always there under the live events just look for pressing crest and you can follow along there as well what we've been doing the last few weeks in the book of luke is we've been walking with jesus in the series we're calling unlocked and we're watching the savior have interactions 
with this wide spectrum of all different kinds of people. And we're noticing, or rather we're asking this question, which I think is a good question, how does Jesus unlock people to their full potential? And we're learning a little bit from each one of these encounters today. Luke chapter 18, let's go there. Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 18. A certain ruler, Matthew tells us he's a young ruler, a young man. A certain ruler asked him, Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Don't commit adultery, don't murder, do not steal, do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. Hi, mom and dad, they're here this morning. Um, All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with men is possible with God. So, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this story, kind of slightly different versions of this conversation that happened. And I read the story, and I don't know about you, I think this guy, this sort of person, would be right at home here in North Dallas. I mean, just look at the guy. Um, Matthew tells us in chapter 19 that he's young. Luke tells us that he's successful. Um, The text describes him, the Greek word there is a person of archon, which means a person of authority. That tells us that in the community, people old and young looked at him and said, this is a guy who is a natural-born leader. Okay, And honestly, you look at him and you see a guy that there is... There is, frankly, a lot to admire about this individual. Um, I mean, he is a go-getter. He has leadership gifts, and he's leveraged those and hard work into developing a fortune at a very young age. He's won over the admiration of the community. But here's what really gets my attention and what really impresses me about this young fellow. He is someone who wants his life to get to the next level. He's someone who cares about improving. He's someone that is asking questions, evaluating himself, trying to figure out what do I need to do? What's lacking in my life? Are there weak spots? He wants to know what those are. He's a guy that cares about improving. And we see this because he comes to the right person and he asks the right question. The right person, of course, he comes to Jesus. He recognizes Jesus as a gifted leader, a gifted teacher, as someone who has the wisdom to help him know what he needs to do to to unlock his potential. And he asks the right question. He asks a question about 
how do I get eternal life? And I have to tell you, I wish everybody would care about that question. That's a great question. More people need to think about not just getting the bigger house or getting the promotion, but think about questions of eternal weight. So I'm impressed. I really am with this guy. Um, and I think the disciples were impressed as well. Um, they, I think when they met him and heard him talking, their admiration for him would have only grown when they saw he cared about the Scriptures, he knew about the Scriptures, he knew what the Bible teaches, and from a very early age he had concerned himself with obedience, with following what he read in the Scripture. So, conscientious, wants to have a life that honors God. Eternal life, Jesus says, you know all the big commandments. You know, don't kill anybody. Don't sleep with somebody who's not your spouse. Uh, don't rob. Honor your father and mother. And the young man says, yeah, I, I know those, and I've been following those since I was young. So really, I would say this guy, I mean, honestly, first glance here, kind of the total package, right? I mean, successful, um, smart, cares about personal growth, uh, is admired by people around him, an all-around decent moral person. Too bad he's not running for president, right? I mean, don't, don't amen that, okay? Um, just bonus. He knows the word, tries to follow the word, all of this stuff. And, by the way, he's achieved all this at a young age. So maybe a 20-something here. Impressive stuff. By all appearances, he would be the sort of person that you might label as the ideal disciple or the ideal potential disciple. Um, I would be thrilled to see a person like this coming to Preston Crest saying, hey, I want to be a part of what God is doing here at Preston Crest. Um, I think he could do a lot for the kingdom of God. And I've got to think the disciples are overhearing this conversation and they're thinking, bingo, right? I mean, we have landed a big fish here. Imagine what this young, successful, wealthy individual is going to be able to bring to the ministry. And even Jesus, yes, Jesus sees that. Jesus says, hey, come follow me. Come be a part of, of the work here. And so as, as the conversation goes, at this point, things are really sailing right along, aren't they? Verse 22, just one little snag. Literally, Jesus says, you lack one thing. Sell all of your stuff. Liquidate the portfolio take all that money, give it away to the poor, and then come follow me. And that's where the conversation ceases to sail right along, doesn't it? My guess is we have just seen the reason that Matthew, Mark, and Luke all remember this story. It is an easy one for Jewish folks to remember um, because honestly... For them, a Jewish person, a believer being wealthy meant, well, that was kind of synonymous with being good with God, accepted by God, enjoying God's favor. Wealth was seen, if you knew the Torah, you knew the Hebrew Scriptures, and you, you went to the synagogue, and you went to the temple, and you were wealthy, that was all an indication God likes you, okay? God has blessed your life. So if anyone 
was good enough. If anyone measured up, if anyone was qualified to be right with God, here he is. Right? Here he is in Luke chapter 19. So what's going on here? Jesus tells him, give away all your stuff. Then come follow me. Luke says the guy is sad. I mean, the head sags, shoulders slump, and he leaves. He walks away from Jesus. What just happened? You know the disciples are wondering that. I mean, we had him on the hook. He's coming to you, Jesus. He wants to know what you think. He respects you. He calls you good teacher. Why would you go and ruin that? Why would you go and say something that sends him away sad? And the Lord felt for this young man. The Lord had love in his heart for this young man. And as this dejected man turns and leaves... Jesus says, looking at him, how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And then he added, and it might have been a little awkward levity at this point, he added, it would be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to to get to heaven. Now, you may have heard preachers try to explain this. You know, it's like there was actually a gate there at Jerusalem was it, that was known as the eye of the needle. Look, don't try to over... It, Jesus is saying, think about that. Camel getting through the eye of a needle, ridiculously hard, impossible really, wouldn't it be. Um, so the disciples just kind of stand there in shock. I mean, this young guy is an ideal candidate to be a disciple, could do a lot for the kingdom on earth. Why did Jesus have to go and mess that up? And wealth? Wealth? I mean, wealth was a sign that you were right with God. So they ask, Lord, if a guy who knows the Bible and cares about following what the Bible says, and he leads a moral life, if someone like that can't be saved, who can be saved? I mean, really, who in the world can be saved? The mental wheels have been turning, the neurons have been firing, they're connecting the dots, and they're, they're looking at this picture, and they're saying, it looks like it would be impossible for anyone to be saved. Then Jesus says, at the end of the text we read this morning, yeah, you're right, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Back to the young man in the story. You know, one thing, there, there are several things in the story that really haven't changed much over time. One of those things would be the value of money. Would you say our culture still values money? Of course we do. You can fix a lot of problems with money. You can make a lot of situations better if you have money. Money can open a lot of doors. But check this out. There is one door that money cannot open, and that is the door to eternal life. Money cannot make you right with God. 
That's something it can't do for you. So Jesus, he looks at this man's heart. Jesus looks at our hearts. And Jesus sees what it is that limits me. Jesus sees what it is that's holding you back. What it is that's keeping you from reaching your full potential. And for this fellow, money was that. Okay? Money had become for him a sort of substitute savior. It had become for him a sort of counterfeit Christ. Now, money is not the only counterfeit Christ, is it? There are all sorts of things. In fact, anything that I put my ultimate trust in, anything that I look to as my Savior, a person, a relationship, a philosophy, ideology, a thing, a material object, a bank account, anything that I look to that is not Jesus that I believe will ultimately save me, that I cry out to, that is my Christ. It may be the real thing. It may be a counterfeit version of Christ. So whether you're getting ready to graduate from high school or you're getting ready to retire, that is a great question to ask yourself. This, do I put my confidence in Christ or do I put it somewhere else? A counterfeit Christ. Who or what's do you look to for your salvation? Where do you turn when you lose hope? What's that thing? What's that relationship that you believe you absolutely have to have to get by? Spoiler alert, according to Jesus, not money. Money won't work. Money won't get you by. Now, remember, early in the conversation, in fact, at the very beginning of the conversation, that weird kind of awkward moment where the young man comes to Jesus and he says, good teacher, Jesus interrupts him right there. Doesn't even let let him get the question out. Good teacher, who are you calling good? Did you know no one is good except God and God alone? Only God is good. And if only God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, if only God is good then I'm not good. Does that make sense? If, only, if, if that circle that has all the good people in it only contains God, then I'm outside the circle. I'm not good. And I can't make myself good. I can't force myself to be good enough to be saved. That means salvation is a God thing. Only He can make that possible for somebody like me, for a sinner like me. In fact, the story gets at this even deeper level. There is nothing that I can acquire. There is nothing that I can purchase. There is nothing that I can achieve that will ultimately unlock salvation for me. It is impossible for me or for any of us to make ourselves right with God, even doing really good things, like to the best of your ability, obeying all of the scriptures, that's not going to make you good. That's not going to justify you in the presence of God. I can try as hard as I want, but I'm not good. I'm not going to make myself good enough to merit eternal life. Jesus said right at the beginning, only God is good. So Jesus makes it very clear. Salvation is not a human endeavor. 
Salvation does not depend on your merit. Praise God for that. On my merit. Praise God for that. It is something God does. It's not something that you do. And so just a few points on the outline this morning as we kind of finish up. A statement or two about the, about the, the story we just read. And then some questions for us to think about. The first statement would be this from this encounter. Okay? Here goes. Jesus was interested in the man's salvation. He wasn't terribly concerned with making him feel better about himself. There are so many engines, so many um, places in the world that we look to to make us feel better about ourselves, just lift up our self-esteem. Look, it's not that Jesus doesn't care how you feel about yourself. He's not trying to make you feel bad about yourself. It's just that he loves you enough to tell you the truth. Okay? He cares more about your salvation. He cares more about your eternity than giving you a self-esteem bump. So here's the question. Will I allow Jesus to shoot straight with me? My choices, my lifestyle even when what Jesus tells me is uncomfortable. Can he tell me the truth without me sagging my shoulders and walking away from him? Say what you want about this young man, his decency, his accomplishments, his love for Scripture, his desire for personal growth. Say what you want. One thing is clear. He was not okay with Jesus giving him an honest assessment about his life. We know that. Because he got the assessment and he turned and walked away. He became sad and he left. He wanted Jesus' advice. He just didn't want that advice. Okay. Um, the next thing that I would point out from this story, Jesus was interested, is interested by the way, but he was interested in this case in being the Lord of this man not in being an advisor on his quest for personal improvements, okay? Lordship is the issue here in Luke chapter 18. Will you accept me not as an advisor, not as a good buddy, okay, not as a guru? Will you accept me as Lord? The question for me is this. Will I accept Jesus as Lord of all areas of my life, or do I merely want Jesus to come in and kind of help enhance my life? It's a tough question. I'll be honest with you. These are challenging questions, I think, for us. Um, it's a big one to keep in mind. Do I think that Jesus, look, do I think that Jesus can improve me as a person? Of course I do. Do I think that Jesus in my life can make me a better husband, a better father, a better minister, a better... Of course I do. Do I think that is primarily what Jesus is concerned with? I know it's not. He says in Luke chapter 19, his mission statement, he says, to, in, in the case of uh, Zacchaeus, he says, the Son of Man came to what? To seek and to save that which was lost. He wants to be your Lord, and he needs to be your Lord. 
Coming to Christ involves giving him the archon, giving him the dominion, claiming him as the ruler over your life, taking the throne of the life uh, of your life that he needs to occupy as Lord for the disciple. As Lord, it means he gets to lead and he gets to shape my decisions about everything. Jesus, you're my Lord. So he leads and he shapes my decisions about money. He's Lord. He leads. He shapes my decisions about sex. He's Lord. He leads. He shapes my decisions about my marriage. He's Lord. He leads. He shapes my decisions about ministry. Either he's Lord or he's not. What he's not interested in being is a life enhancement technology. What he's not interested in being is a little something you add in. He's not interested in you, in you having a Christ-flavored life. A little pepper on there, a little Jesus on the life. He's interested in you having a Christ-filled life. You know the man in the story. Wow, he was impressive. I mean, he really was. Grabbed life by the horns, squeezed just about everything that he could do out of life from a very early age. If life was a series of conquests, then he was a victor. He had conquered a lot of big stuff at an early age, hadn't he? But there was one thing he couldn't conquer. Okay? The greatest conquest isn't the bigger house isn't the bigger salary. It isn't a beautiful body. It isn't whiter teeth. It isn't shinier hair. The biggest conquest is none of that stuff. It is eternal life with God. That is the only conquest that matters eternally. You can't take the other stuff with you. Amen? But there was, so there was this one thing he couldn't conquer. And he wanted, what do I do to get eternal life? And that... Jesus says, eternal life is a conquest that is impossible for human beings. In fact, it is not something that you and I can conquer at all. When you think about it, eternal life is more of an unconditional surrender rather than a conquest. It is putting Jesus on the throne removing myself from the throne and surrendering my life and my eternity to Him. So this is the third and final bullet point there. Salvation is an absolute impossibility, impossibility through human goodness or effort. It is possible because of the good news, because of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's possible because of what He accomplished, not because of what I accomplished. So the question then becomes this one. The central question is this. Will I surrender to the gospel, putting my faith in Christ and Christ alone? Let me ask you some questions here. They all have the same answer, and I might need your help with this answer. Has anyone, anyone, ever conquered sin and Satan 
and the legions of hell. No one but Jesus. Say that with me. No one but Jesus. Let's get a little conviction there. No one but Jesus. He's the only one who's conquered sin, Satan, and the legions of hell. Has anyone ever conquered death? No one but Jesus. Has anyone ever promised you that the grave is not the end, that eternal life is your future, and then backed that up by being raised on the third day? No one but Jesus. Just Jesus. So yeah, I mean really you can achieve a great deal with your time and your talent that the Lord has blessed you with. Salvation, however, is impossible for you to accomplish, for you to achieve. That's where the good news comes in. The good news. Remember Jesus? Well, he is kind of, I guess you could say, an expert in the world of the impossible, isn't he? Think about Jesus. Um, remember, that, remember that night, his disciples, they're on the Sea of Galilee. They're sailing across without Jesus. It's very dark. And then somebody, and then all of them spot Jesus walking on top of the water across the sea. The Bible tells us they were terrified. Why were they scared? Because that's not possible. That can't happen. Jesus meets up with a paralyzed man. His legs have never worked. He's never stood. He's never walked. Jesus asks that man to do the very thing, the one thing that is impossible for that man to do. Rise up, take your mat, and walk. Jesus in the temple sees this man who has a shriveled arm. Jesus says to him, with a twinkle in his eye, stretch out your arm. Jesus comes across blind people. Open your eyes and see, he says, smiling, because for Jesus, all things are possible. In fact, when you think about it, an impossible situation is actually a precondition for a what? For a miracle. A miracle is not a miracle if it was possible. You've got to have an impossible situation to have a miracle happen. Now, where did we ever get the idea that our salvation is not a miracle? I mean, Jesus clears that up for us in Luke 18. Impossible. A rich man getting to heaven, impossible. But all things are possible with God. If it's up to me, if it's up to you, if it's up to the Apostle Peter, if it's up to Mother Teresa, if it's up to your sainted grandmother to get saved on their own to merit salvation, then salvation is impossible. It cannot happen. But with Jesus, wow. That's a different story, isn't it? Impossible things are quite possible with Jesus. 
Remember what the disciples said? I mean, they are stunned. Here's this guy. He's almost perfect. He's like the ideal. If anyone might be considered a good person, it was this young guy that came to Jesus. Remember their reaction at the end of the story, verses 26 and 27? They turn to Jesus astonished, and they say, Then who in the world can be saved? Verse 27, he replied, What is impossible for people is possible with God. This morning, what is holding you back? What issue? What struggle? What, what is it in your life that is limiting you from the person you know Christ has called you to be? What do you need to put under His Lordship? What do you need to surrender to Jesus in order for Him to unlock your potential? Is it money? Is it your career? I mean, I don't know. Are you willing to surrender that to the Lordship of Jesus? Maybe this morning, it's finally time for you to cross that line of faith and put your trust, your faith, not in what you are going to be able to do or what you have already done, but in what Jesus accomplished at the cross. You can be baptized into that. Accepting Him, acknowledging Him, confessing Him as your Lord and Savior. Or maybe this morning you just need prayers. However it is you need to respond, we would ask you to do that as together we stand and worship. Salvation belongs to our God Who sits upon the throne And unto
you'd help me out here, let's close by speaking this blessing aloud from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 16. Do we have that? There it is. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. And the church said? Thank you for joining us today in our worship here at the Preston Crest Church of Christ in Dallas, Texas. You may be coming to Dallas sometime in the future, and if you do come, please worship with us at the Preston Crest Church. We're located on Preston Road, two blocks south of LBJ Expressway. Almost everyone in Dallas knows this intersection, and when you come, you'll be warmly welcomed. In addition to our congregational singing, we've also included recorded music by the Zoe Group. You can find them online at zoegroup.org. Again, thank you for sharing our worship, and may God bless you this week. How great is our God. Sing with me how great is our God. And all will see how great, how great is our God. And age to age she stands. And time is in his hands. Beginning and the end. Beginning and the end. The Godhead three in one. Father, Spirit, Son. The Lion and the Lamb. The Lion and the See how great.